I have much to cover today, and I would like to get to the crux of the matter uh, and prove, I think, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the meaning of the two trees in the Garden of Eden and what bearing they have on you and me today. Now, as I've said before, many come to the conclusion that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, symbolizes the law, and I do agree with that. It is the law that determines or defines or contrasts or shows the difference between good and evil. So that is a correct conclusion that many have come to. However, they then immediately conclude that because they sinned, broke the law, and therefore were candidates for death, that the law is evil and nasty and should be done away with because it leads to death. Now, is that the correct conclusion? And this is what is all important for you and me in conducting our lives. We need to know if that is a correct approach or if that is the correct symbolism and how then to apply it in life. Now, as we know, People generally go to some very small parts of the writings of Paul and Romans and Galatians to show that the law indeed is a bad thing and was done away by Christ. Rather than go there and wade through that, I first wanted to go to other parts of the Bible, and particularly those parts that uh, Protestants and Catholics might wave away, like the Old Testament, or parts of the New Testament prior to Christ's death, because they try to get past as much of the Bible as they possibly can and get down to a few scriptures in Paul to prove that the law's done away and you don't have to keep it anymore. But is that what the rest of the Bible shows? And we went through some scriptures in the book of John, showing what Christ said to his disciples as his parting speech, his parting instruction. We went through some in Hebrews, in James, First uh, Peter, showing that those authors who wrote inspired Scripture uh, have a great deal to say about how wonderful, how good, how meaningful the law is and how much in force it is. Now, I want to continue along that line, picking it up today in Second Peter to show again Peter's view on this. Let's go to chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So within the church, there would be false teachers who privately, kind of behind the scenes, shall bring in damnable heresies. Now, heresies can be damning. That is, they can lead you to the lake of fire. So a damnable heresy is a teaching that will lead you to death. And there would be people, people in the church who would do this. Not only then, but now. Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction... Now, what he is about to say is in the category of teachings that will destroy you, okay? 
and many shall follow their pernicious ways. What does pernicious mean? My margin says lascivious. If you look it up, you will find that essentially it means lawless. Any teaching, heresy, that teaches lawlessness then will cause you death. How plain can it be? By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now that happened in the church of God. We kept the law of God. And some came in behind the scenes and began to teach, you don't have to keep the law. And many followed their lawless way. Just as it was happening in Peter's day, it is happening today. Now notice, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. What is covetousness? It's the Tenth Commandment. It's spoken of in a very negative sense here. So he says pernicious, which ultimately means lawless ways, one of which is the Tenth Commandment, covetousness, because they desired money. They wanted control. Happened in the church. They wanted control of the money. They even said, since the law is done away, you don't have to tithe anymore, and I know you'll give more, and they gave less. And then that's the only thing they instituted was tithing, because it was about covetousness. It wasn't about truth, was it? It wasn't about whether the doctrine of tithing was right or wrong. It was about they wanted the money. So when they said, you don't need to, oh, well, well yes, you do need to. Was it about truth? Or was it about the Tenth Commandment? Now, Paul, I mean, Peter here is kind of saying that a covetous or a breaking of the Tenth Commandment is bad. Well, a breaking of the Tenth one's bad isn't the Ninth and the Eighth and the Seventh and the Sixth and the Fifth and, you know, how about the Fourth? Whose judgment now of a long time lingers not and their damnation does not sleep. God is very aware of that kind of lawless teaching. And then he talks about some of the laws that have been broken in the past. Verse 6, he goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah and homosexuality, does that have to do with the Ten Commandments? Well, he's talking that God's judgment then is the same as it is now in the New Testament. It's a breaking of the Ten Commandments, but it's... The Ten Commandments are explained and statutes added to help us understand what they cover in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And there it talks about sexual relationships between men and men and women and women and so on and so forth. Beasts and everything else, which is a trend, a big trend today. But God says it's ungodly. And that Lot hated the filthy conduct of the wicked, and he was spared out of it. Uh, verse 10, he talks about the ungodly. Then he says, chiefly them that walk after the flesh. What does the flesh do? The works of the flesh, Paul talks about. They're breaking the Ten Commandments, to summarize it. 
all kinds of uncleanness that the law demands we don't do. The flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Have you noticed that most people who go the Protestant direction also do not want government in the church? That is one of the things they always, it seems, come up with. Well, the people who are in this category will generally have this attitude sooner or later. It was true in Peter's day, and it's true today. They don't want the government of God or the law of God, and they don't want the government or the law of men within God's church. So they despise government. Now, Peter speaks of that as a bad thing, doesn't he? He's talking about damnation here. We had better be careful. Presumptuous are they. What does God say presumptuousness is in the Proverbs? It's the same as witchcraft, demon worship. To despise government puts you in the same category as who? Satan the devil. It is a satanic attitude. That was his whole deal. I can run things better than God can. I'm higher than God. He despised the government of the Almighty and broke the first and great commandment and put himself above God. So when we despise the government of God and the offices that God put within the church, and even to some degree or another, as outlined in Romans 13, even the governments of men, we have to be very, very careful because God has allowed and even set up the governments of men. Daniel 4 says he puts over the nations the basest of men. God is the one who put them there. And here at the end we have the basest of men ruling the governments of the world. And I won't get more specific than that. And God put them there. We must be careful because if you cross a line in your mind, it's a line that's easy to cross within the church and to God himself. Satan crossed it, Adam and Eve crossed it, and every one of us has crossed it ever since. So it can be a critical issue. We need to be careful. Now, we can recognize wrong. We can recognize sin, fraud, uh, all kinds of things within government. But we need to be probably more careful than we often are about making light of and jokes about, and a lot of them get on the Internet about some of our leaders. Maybe we should just delete those rather than reading them and laughing at them. Because we're getting really close to a line there that we don't need to go to. So think about that one. I know some of them can be really, really funny, can't they? But is it the right thing to do? And are we beginning to get on the edge of infringing on what Peter is talking about? Even the angels, he said, didn't bring railing accusation against even Satan. Because God allows Satan to be in his position. We avoid him. We don't do his way. But we need to be careful that we don't get an, a negative, critical attitude.
That's what this is really all about. They say, he says here, their spots, verse 13, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. A deception is a lie. Uh, having eyes full of adultery. What's wrong with that? If there's no law, then there's nothing wrong with adultery or having eyes full of it, is there? No, it's okay. It's accepted in our society today, isn't it? Not a big deal. Fornication, adultery, it's just everyday stuff. There's no law against it. Even man's laws between consenting adults, are it's okay. If there's no law, it's okay. But he doesn't sound to me like Peter thinks it's okay. They can't cease from sin. Ooh, what is sin? Transgression of the law. Beguiling unstable souls. So someone who says that you don't have to worry about the law of God is a lying, unstable soul. Hmm. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Covetousness, again, is the Tenth Commandment. And it says then they are cursed children. Why did God put a curse on Adam and Eve? For breaking the law. And here we have people who are breaking the law, and it says they are cursed children. Cursed of God. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. What did he do? He lied. He stole. It says these are wells without water, clouds carried with the tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, it is vain to say the law of God is done away with, they allure, or they draw, or they entice, how? Through the lusts of the flesh. All the various things that are unlawful that the flesh desires. That's where they go. Through much wantonness. Those who were clean escaped from them who live in error. The world of the Protestants, the Catholics, live in error. We escape from it. And then you have people who started drawing us right back into it. That's what he's talking about. While they promised them liberty, we're free. What do they promise, these people who say, grace only and you don't have to keep the law? They say, liberty, you're free. You're not tied to that dirty, nasty, evil old law. So they promise you liberty. While they themselves are the servants of corruption. The Tkachas and their ilk were servants of corruption. Leading people to death. What do you do when you die? You corrupt. You rot. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. When you become a servant of corruption or evil or lawlessness, then you are in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, the world outside is polluted. It is rotten and filthy. What characterizes the world around us? Lying, cheating, stealing, fraud, 
fornication, adultery, covetousness, Sabbath-breaking, idolatry of any and every form and shape. That's what characterizes the world around us. Lawlessness. And mankind makes laws and it doesn't help. So, if you have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Emmanuel the Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now notice, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. What was the holy commandment delivered to them? The one in Genesis, the one in Moses, the one in Matthew, the one in Hebrews, James, Peter, the one Christ talked about. That was the one that was delivered to the disciples, was it not? You will enter into life, keep the commandments. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed of her wallowing in the mire. So if you depart from the commandments of God, you are like a sow going right back into pig slop, or a dog licking up its own vomit on a spiritual level. Is that plain or not? Chapter 3, verse 1. The second epistle, this was his second one. Beloved, I now write up unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Your mind is not pure by nature. It is deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it. So he's trying to stir up the spiritual part of our minds, that which the Holy Spirit has implanted there. By way of remembrance, let's not forget, he says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken there before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Remember the things that Christ told the apostles, he said. What did he teach them? Go to the Sermon on the Mount. He taught them that the law was even more binding than it ever had been. In his last teaching session with them before he died, all he talked about was the love of God and how the love of God is the keeping of the commandments. And if you will enter into life, in so many words, the commandments. That's what he delivered to them. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers who will say the law is done away. They won't believe the things that Christ delivered to his apostles. They'll scoff at that. They'll say, you don't have to keep that old dirty evil law. But that's the commandment Christ gave. And saying, where is the promise of his coming and so on. They're willingly ignorant. He tells us, verse 8, don't be ignorant. God isn't slack concerning His promise. This thing is going to happen, and it is important that we do things right so we can be there to accept the blessings that come. Okay, He says, 
Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness, doing that which is right. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, and we do, be diligent. No, under grace only, you don't have to worry. You're once saved, always saved. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be diligent about anything. You're saved. It doesn't matter. That you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. There are places where it speaks of the spotting of the world. The spotting of sin. And he says we're to be without spot. How, are we, how do we get spotless? That takes some washing and some scrubbing and some work. And then we need the forgiveness through the blood of Christ to wash it all away. And not continue in that. Now, and to count that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation... Even as our beloved brother Paul. Now, Paul and Peter did not always get along. They had some conflicts. But he speaks here of his beloved brother, our beloved brother Paul. Also, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Now, he endorses Paul and he says that God gave Paul wisdom to write things to us. And indeed, Paul wrote many books in the New Testament, did he not? So, Peter endorses that. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. What things? These things about the law and righteousness and holiness that Peter is writing about. Now, did Paul write about those things? Yes, he did. Throughout his epistles. I'll go to one in just a moment and show you. Speaking of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Now, this is the only place in Scripture that I know of, or even comes close to it, to warning someone about Scripture. Now, he says... The things Paul wrote were from God, and the wisdom he had was given from God, right? So Peter's not putting Paul down, but he is warning about some of the things that Paul wrote. Can you believe Scripture is warning about Scripture? There's one area of Scripture that we are warned about. And it is that a small part of the things that Paul wrote. Did you ever think about that? Here is a warning in Scripture about Scripture. Be very careful, Peter is saying, about some things Paul wrote. Even though they came from God, some of them are hard to be understood. Now, a lot of things Paul wrote are very plain indeed. Very plain. And all through Paul's epistles, he talks about keeping the law and the fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the work of the flesh. He talks in even Romans 6 and 7 about because grace abounds, shall we continue in sin? No, God forbid. Even in the very context of the places that are hard to be understood, the people twist and rest, Paul makes some very plain statements. 
And nearly all of his writing says that. Was he against sin? Go to 1 Corinthians sometime. See what he thought about incest in the church. Paul didn't say the law is done away. He said, you better keep it or you're out of the church. That's simple. But there are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable twist, as they do also other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, what he's saying here is that if somebody takes a few of the things that Paul said and twists them, they can destroy you. And he says anyone who does that is what? They are unlearned. They're ignorant. Of what? They're unlearned in Scripture. That's why I'm taking you where we're going. I'm giving you an overview of the whole Bible, and particularly the apostles in the New Testament, and what they said, so that you have an overview of what the Scriptures plainly say, and then if there are some places that are hard to understand, you need to be already, ha- you need to be in the position of having learned from the other Scriptures, so you don't twist those. So he says if Someone twists a few of the things that Paul says. They are ignorant, scripturally, and he says they are unstable. Unstable how? Spiritually unstable. Joe Tkach and his ilk, and all those who went back to Protestantism, are unstable, and they are ignorant because they took a few things that are difficult to understand. Now, let's go back to Romans 1. People go to Romans to about 7 to try to prove the law is done away. Then they go to Galatians. Only two places they go, basically. What does Paul have to say at the beginning of Romans? He talks about the lie here, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie in verse 25. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And women and men burning in lust for each other instead of the normal relationship that God made between man and woman. Now that's not in the Ten Commandments, except in principle, but it is in the statutes and the other laws that are attached to them to explain them. Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So someone who says homosexuality is okay is denying the statutes and the judgments that are attached to the Ten Commandments to give you a bigger overview of what God meant by the Ten Commandments. They have a reprobate mind, that is, a mind against law, to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, lying, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God instead of lovers of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, there's the fifth commandment, without understanding, see, unlearned, 
Covenant breakers can't keep their word without natural affection. Got all kinds of weird, perverted, queer affections. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. How do you get worthy of death? You transgress the law. The wages of sin are death. Why, why does Paul waste all this time and energy about this stuff if the law's done away, I'd like to know? They which commit such things are worthy of death. He's talking eternal death here. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Let's go on down. What does he say? Verse 7, to them, to them who by patient, or chapter 2, verse 7, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, what Paul is talking here is eternal life, the tree of life. Mankind, after sinning, qualified for physical death. And God took them away from the garden and away from the tree of life, lest they should partake of it and live forever. In a sinful state, living forever would have been a terrible sentence. So God took them away from it. So what Paul is discussing here has to do with eternal life and eternal death, okay? Now what it says? Eternal life. But to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth. People say, well, you can have truth, but you don't have to obey. Well, he's talking about eternal death being involved with someone who does not obey. What part of the truth do you obey? The law. What else is there? Let's go on down and see what he says. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. People don't even know the God law of God or breaking it, not even knowing it, and they are going to die. There are people who don't even know anything about God or the law of God on some continents on this earth. They're going to die, aren't they? Because they're breaking it whether they know it or not. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So whether you had the law or didn't have the law, you're going to be judged by it regardless. Oh, Judgment, eternal judgment, and eternal life has to do with the law. Well, I'll be. Hmm. Now notice this. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. You have to do the law to receive justification the only way. If you don't keep the law of God, you will not be justified by the blood of Christ. And that's the only justification we have, isn't it? Now, somebody can be caught doing something and they'll give you all kinds of reasons and justifications for why it was okay for them to do what they did. Your kids have done it to you. I did it to my parents. But it didn't float, did it? I don't care what you say. I told you, don't do that. God's the same way. He said, don't do this, 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 and this, or you will be in trouble and you will die unless you have the blood of Christ to wash that sin away. Thankfully, we do have that. Okay, through his grace, through his blood, our sins are washed away. 
Shall we then continue in sin that grace may, be, may abound? No. God forbid no. We do not continue in sin. So Paul himself makes a very clear statement here. I won't go on there to belabor this. But that's hard to twist, isn't it? What we read so far in Romans. It's further down the people twist. All right, let's move on. Did I finish what I had to say in Second Peter? I think that may have been pretty much it. Uh, now let's let's uh, finish this thought up here in verse sixteen. If you're ignorant and scripturally unlearned, you can twist some of the things that Paul said, to your own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, be warned, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior. Do people twist most of Ephesians? Do people twist 1 Corinthians? Do people twist Hebrews? Well, some. But the ones that they really depart from what the rest of the Bible say are a few places in Romans and Galatians primarily. That's it. They twist it to say what the rest of the Bible doesn't say. Now, who's wrong? Now I want to go... To Christ's favorite. Christ had a favorite? I don't believe that. Did he play favorites? Let's go to John 13. Just quickly make a couple of references here. Because I think this is an important point. John 13, verse 23. Um, now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So Peter thought that John ought to be the one to talk to Christ about this because he had the inside track a little bit. That's clear in the context. Um, chapter 20, verse 2. This is referred to several times. Uh, chapter 20, verse 2. Then she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to him, blah, blah, blah. Then chapter 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrays you? So John is clearly talking about himself, and that he was the one that was loved more than the others. Okay? What was it that caused Christ to have a closer affection, a closer and better relationship with John than the others. Now, he is not a respecter of persons in the sense of judgment. And that is very clear in Scripture. We all will be judged by our lives and what we do. That does not mean that he was not closer to some than others as a human being. You have people that you tend to be closer to than others, don't you? Because of common interests or the way you think more alike, or whatever reasons, 
we have those that we feel closer to than others. That is not wrong, as long as you don't leave the others out. Now, Christ had a special relationship with John, but he didn't leave the others out. In our life here, let's say, you should not invite the same people over all the time because those are the ones you like the best. It's not wrong to like them better. It's not wrong maybe to have them over more often or to have more relationship with them. But if you leave the others out, it becomes wrong. Christ never left any of them out, but he spent more time and in a closer relationship with one than he did the others. Now, the reason I'm making this point is that for some reason, Christ had an affinity for John that was closer than with any of the others. He didn't put him in charge of the church. He put Peter there because of certain leadership qualities that Peter had and that James had. He also had a very high position. John did not have that, but he had a closer personal relationship than did the others. So Christ did not put John in charge saying, you're my favorite, so I'm going to put you in charge. He took the leadership qualities of Peter and James and used them in that position even though he was personally closer to John. Now, if he was closer to him, that meant, at least in the, the logic that I'm using here, that they must have thought a little more alike, okay? They must have had some things in their personalities and their approach that was closer to the same than maybe some of the others. Therefore, there was a closeness and a bond there that was tighter than it was with the others. So the question I'm posing through all this is what was it that John got, maybe a little better even, than the others did? What, what did he get? Now, the others got it, maybe just not quite as much, and therefore there was a way of thinking that was closer with him and Christ. Look at the four Gospels. Only one of them goes into the intimate details of the last talk that Christ had with the disciples. And we've already gone there and gone through that a week or time or two ago when I spoke and saw the very clear statements connecting love and commandment keeping. And there was one, you can't have one without the other. This is the love of God, that you keep the commandments, in other words. That's a Christ, that was essentially what Christ was getting across to them. If you love me, he said in a direct quote, keep the commandments. And if you don't love me, I mean, if you don't keep the commandments, you don't love me. That's what he said, John 15, 16, 17. Go back there and read it again, if you don't believe that. All right, we're about to delve into the book of First John. And let's see what John focuses on. Now, he was the one that was the very closest to Christ. He didn't write anything hard to be understood. Didn't get a warning from Peter about John. He got it about Paul. If you're going to be wary of anybody, be wary of Paul, Peter says. And just a few of the things he wrote. He was inspired by God, but you've got to be careful there with a few things. Doesn't say that about John. All right, what does John talk about here? I don't want to get too bogged down in this. Uh, I could spend the rest of the day and next week and the next week in First John. It is so meaty and so powerful. But I just want to hit a few highlights here and show you 
the things that John talks about. Now, he was the last apostle standing. The others had all died. He was confined to the Isle of Patmos. So his really is the last word that we have after everything else had been written that was written. And he was the one that Christ was closest to. Let's go down to chapter 2. Well, let's see, verse 9. If we confess our sins, if the law is done away, you can't sin. Because sin is the transgression of the law. And he's still talking about sin, isn't he? Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if the law is done away with, you can't sin. So therefore, we'd have to say, I don't sin. But if the law is there, then you can sin. And we do. Chapter 2, verse 3. Hereby, we do know that we know Him. This is a defining verse. I don't see how you could twist it out of context. Hereby, we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Wow. Next time you read Romans 7 and Galatians, maybe you better keep that statement in mind. This is how you know if you know Him. People say, I know the Lord. Now, if you don't keep His commandments, you don't know Him. You have no idea who He really is. There is not a Catholic or a Protestant walking the face of this earth who knows God. They all say they know the Lord. No, they don't. Because they do not keep His commandments. They say they're done away with. And their very lives and every belief they have flies in the very face of 1 John 2, 3. He that says, okay, he he drills this in. He that says, I know Him and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. How plain can you get? I know the Lord. Do you keep the commandments? No, they're done away. You don't know the Lord. That simple. But whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. He that says he abides in him is close to him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Christ never broke one of the commandments. Not once. And we're to walk like he did. Do as he did, and think as he thought. Bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. Paul wrote, I don't write you a new commandment, he says, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. He says nothing's changed. The old commandment is the word which you've heard from the beginning. He's writing to the church here. Where was the beginning? The beginning was with the apostles and the instruction Christ gave them when they were still disciples on the mount and later on just before he died. And all he talked about basically was keeping the commandments in both those contexts making them even more binding than they had been before. 
Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. So he said, it's the same commandments. There's nothing new except now we add Christ to the equation, but it didn't change the old in that sense. Uh, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You're going to go the ways of this world and do the things that the world is doing. What are they doing? Lying, cheating, stealing, committing adultery and fornication, and getting too drunk and destroying their lives. Drugs. You name it. That's the way of the world. It's not the way of God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world and it's going to pass away. Um, let's move on down. Uh, chapter 3. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Then he gets down. He's talking about the hope of salvation in us. The hope of what? Eternal life. Isn't that the hope of the Christian is eternal life? Yeah, it is. That's the, the subject here. Every man that has this hope in him, in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. We're made pure in the blood of Christ, but there's still a lot of humanity in us, and we have to continue to purify. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. So sin and transgression of the law are the same thing, okay? For sin is the transgression of the law. And he's already said, if we don't keep the commandments, we don't know God. It's that simple. Uh, let's move on down. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Is there any strings attached, or are there any strings attached? Because we keep... His commandments. He says the answer to prayer, the answer or, that you desire when you go to God in prayer, or anybody does, He says He will answer them because they keep the commandments. In other words, the only people who are candidates for having answered prayer from God Almighty are the people who keep the commandments. He hears not sinners, to quote another spot. Those who habitually break the law, sin, say the law is done away, do not get answers from God, according to the Scripture. I hear a lot of Protestants say, well, that was just an answer from the Lord. Well, it was, but they don't even know which Lord they worship. They're like the Pharisees that Christ spoke of. You worship, you know not what. Your father is the devil, he said. If you're a Protestant or a Catholic and you believe the law of God is done away, or a person in the church of God who believes it's done away, your father is the devil. And God does not answer your prayers. Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son and love one another as He gave us commandment. What did He say was the first and great commandment? That we love our Father in heaven, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as himself, which summarize the Ten Commandments.
And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. If you want Christ to dwell in you, you want to be filled with his Spirit, you have to keep the commandments. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. And it has to do with obedience. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is begotten of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And what is love? Let's skip on down to chapter 5, verse 3. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. There is a definition of the ages. Loving God is the keeping of His commandments. Verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's the first commandment, isn't it? If their law is done away, then idolatry is okay. It's okay to have other gods. No problem. The law is done away. Do they really? How could you really believe the law is done away that idolatry is okay? But that's what you're saying if you say they're done away. That isn't really the one they want done away in a way, is it? No, they really want the Sabbath done away. The lying, the cheating, the stealing, well, well we, ought, we shouldn't do those things. That's just a moral code, but it doesn't have anything to do with the law. Because if you accept one law, you've got to accept them all. And he says if you break one, you break them all. What about the second epistle of John? Did he, did he have a bad day on when he wrote the first epistle? He got back on track on the second one? Talks here about truth and love in verse 3. I rejoice greatly that I found of your children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. So he's still talking about commandment keeping, isn't it? And now I beseech you, lady. The church is symbolized as a lady in the church, or as a fallen woman, depending on her condition at the moment. Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another and this is love, that we walk after His commandments. A little bit different words, but the same thought as the other one. He didn't change it here. This is, you've heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world. So He says you should keep the commandments. This is what you ought to be doing, but many deceivers come into the world. So, if keeping the law is what we should be doing, and that is the love of God, then the deception is that you don't need the commandments to love God. Right? So if someone tells you the commandments are done away and that they're evil and bad and not in effect anymore, they are deceivers and they are deceived. They are liars and the truth is not in them as we read. Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Christ is come living in the flesh. He's coming into the flesh. He, His Spirit, dwell in you. Well, what does that mean? It means that we should think and walk as He walked. 
He kept the commandments. So what it's literally saying here is if you don't keep the commandments, Christ isn't living His life through you. That's why Paul said, of all people, I crucify the flesh. I die daily. Because all those things that were in Paul that are contrary to the law like they are in the rest of us, he had a daily battle with. And it was not an easy one. You would think Paul, of all people, would never say such a thing, wouldn't you? Because he's the one they used to say the law's done away and you just live by grace and love the Lord and everything's fine. But he said he battled himself every day. That is Antichrist. That is against Christ to say the law is done away. Because he lived the law. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have worked, but that we receive a full reward. Whoso transgresses, that's the breaking of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. Remember 1 John 3, 4. And abides not in the doctrine of Christ, has not God. The doctrine of Christ, John says, is keep the commandments. Now, what have we been reading? If there come any to you and bring not this doctrine. Now, people can say, well, this doctrine talking about here is my doctrine whatever their doctrine might be. No, this doctrine that John is preaching, this teaching that we're getting directly from John the Apostle, if he comes and he doesn't bring what I'm saying here, John says, that you've got to keep the commandments. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. If anybody, and he's talking to people who are in the church here, if anybody outside or especially inside the church of God, comes to your house and says, the law of God is done away, you don't need to keep it, get him out of your house. And do not wish him, God be with you. Tell him to leave and leave now. You will not hear such. Is that plain? Third John. Has he gotten the point yet? I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. As he opens in verse 2. Then he talks about love in verse 6. What is love? Keeping the commandments. If If you don't keep the commandments, you don't understand love. You don't have love. That doesn't mean you couldn't have emotion. But emotion is not the love of God, necessarily. Emotion apart from the law of God is ungodly and is not lawful. It is not right. Uh, He, let's see, verse 11. He that does good, that is, keeping the law, is of God. But he that does evil, breaks the law, has not seen, does not know God. And then he... Gives an example. Demetrius has good report of all men. No, that the, uh, Demetrius was a good guy. We bear record. We know our record is true. Okay. So, the one that Christ was closest to, Christ was closest to, is the one that wrote the book of John, which talked about commandment keeping more than any of the others. And then when we get to the things that he wrote in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that's just about all he talks about, is the right definition of love and what the love of God is. And it has everything to do with commandment keeping. Now, if you read some sections of Paul that some rest 
and have come up with a different doctrine than what Paul is right or John is writing here, there's where you have to be careful. If, see, Paul spoke about the law being holy and just and good. He said, "Don't sin. God forbid that we should do that. Break the law." So those are very plain statements Paul made. Romans one we read. So it must be the ones that they say you don't have to keep the law and that it's bad or was only a school teacher or whatever to bring you to Christ now it's done away. Those are the ones you better watch out for. Those are the places it's easy to get messed up. That's what Peter was warning about. Let's go to the book of Jude for a moment. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So he gives his credentials, and then he talks to whom? Those who are called the church. So he's writing to the church here. Mercy to you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved. When I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, he says, I wrote to you about salvation. What is salvation? According to biblical interpretation, it is eternal life. So he says, I wrote to you about being saved from this human life and having eternal life. It was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. When was the faith delivered to the saints? When Christ began teaching His disciples. Matthew 5, Sermon so-called on the Mount, where He taught commandment keeping. Through His ministry, when He said to the young rich man, If you will enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Which... But he named them. And he said, I've kept all these. Well, what about the first one then? Give all your money away and come and follow me. Oh, wait a minute. I've got idolatry still. That's the ones. That was the faith which was once delivered. Just once. All through Christ's ministry. That was what John summarized. His last teaching before he died was all about this is the love of God that you keep the commandments. That was the whole theme. Why is that? Am I beating something to death here? Well, the Protestants beat a little part of Romans and Galatians to death. What does the whole Bible say? That's what's important. And then those who are ignorant and unlearned and unstable spiritual, you're going to twist a few things that are unclear and bring upon themselves damnation. That's pretty serious. So he said, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men, crept in unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. So whoever brings what he's about to talk about are ungodly men who are reserved for damnation. They will not receive eternal life, okay? 
turning the grace of our God into lawlessness. What plainer statement could you have? Anybody who turns the grace, the favor, the pardon, the sacrifice of Christ into a doctrine of lawlessness or the law is done away are denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying the same thing the Apostle John said, isn't he? Those men to whom the truth was once delivered came into the end-time church of God, not just in the early New Testament church. They were given the law by Christ and by the apostles. That was what was delivered to them. But already, Jude said, people are coming in who is, are turning grace into lawlessness. And it's abominable, damnable. And the same thing happened in the end time. We were given the law. And God says of it in Zechariah 2, He was only a little displeased. We had the basic truth. The law of God is to be kept, including the Sabbath. And then those came in who were lawless, and then he got really angry and blew us apart. Happened in the early New Testament church, and it's happened in this one. What were you once delivered? And then what was delivered on top of that? You came out of the stinking Protestantism or Catholicism. You came into the church and were delivered the law of God. And then they led you right back to the wrong thing again. Like a pig going back to her wallow or a dog to his vomit. Not you, but many, many suffered that fate. And it's abominable. And those men, unless they repent, are damned to the lake of fire. Anybody who teaches that the grace of God does away with the law are condemned to the lake of fire. That's what Jude is saying. He was in a position to know. I will put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. And then he starts talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and how the angels sinned. Isn't that what I got to right at the beginning of Genesis? That the first and great commandment was idolatry, and that's the one that Satan broke, and it's the one that Adam and Eve broke. They put themselves and Satan ahead of God. Broke the first and great commandment. And that's exactly the example that Jude uses to show what he's talking about. There's a breach between Satan and God and between man and God that was brought on by breaking the laws of God. And he brings Sodom and Gomorrah into it. So in Jude's mind, Sodom and Gomorrah and homosexuality is still unlawful. But if the law is done away, and even the statutes and the judgments given in support of the law, in further explanation of the law, they're still in effect too, aren't they? Why would you bring them up otherwise? The whole system of law. Sacrifices aren't done away. They were changed. Christ is the sacrifice now. 
It just had a change. Just like Paul says in Hebrews about the tithing. It's not done away. It was changed because now you didn't have Levitical priesthood. You had the Christ priesthood through the Jews. He was a Jew. Didn't do away with the law. Just changed it from Levite to the New Testament ministry. It's that simple. No part of the law is done away. Some elements of it in practice and administration, were simply changed. Then he mentions the error of Cain and Balaam again. Verse 12, These are spots in your feasts of love. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Twice dead means they're going to die physically and eternally. Anyone who turns grace into lawlessness is going to die the second death. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame and compares them then to the demons. It's a doctrine of demons to teach that the grace of God does away with the law. That was a very, very important concept for Jude. He only wrote one chapter. But that was what he was all about. Okay? These be, verse 19, these who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, living by their senses, or situation ethics, or if it feels good, do it, or whatever the modern terminology might be. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is the love of God that you keep the commandments. It says, you know him if you keep his commandments. If you don't keep them, you don't know him. John already said that. He's just repeating it. Keep yourselves in the love, the commandment keeping of Christ. Now, some have compassion making a difference. Show mercy in some cases. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Sometimes you have to just jerk them out of the fire. All right. Let's go then to the book of Revelation. I'm going to take whatever time it takes to finish this up because I don't want to lose this thread and the head of steam I got going. Book of Revelation. Now here, let's start with the, two, the chapters 2 and 3, where he talks about overcoming. And he talks about eternal life. He talks about those who will be in the kingdom of God. He talks to all seven churches here, and he talks about eternal life in them. In fact, in, with the first one in Ephesians, he that has an ear, let him hear in verse 7. He that overcomes... Will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God? It's a promise for the future. Those who do these words, who overcome, what do you overcome? Self and sin. It's hard to do. They'll partake of the tree of life. There's quite a bit in the book of Revelation we're going to find about the tree of life and the conditions that are required to partake of it. People say they already have the tree of life. No, they don't. They have been offered it if they will keep the commandments. 
if they will overcome and grow and change. I won't go through all of this because we know it fairly well, but to all seven churches, he tells them you have to overcome. And what does he talk about overcoming? To one, he says, adultery, fornication. To another, he says, uh, lackadaisical attitude toward God, which is idolatry, putting yourself ahead of Him. All through here, he talks about the commandments of God and overcoming sin, which is breaking those commandments, if you will enter into life and have the tree of life. Commandment keeping is central to the whole idea of the tree of life. They broke the commandments and therefore were not offered the tree of life. They were offered death. Now, this is, again, John writing this, the Apostle John, and it is the revelation of whom who gave it to John, the one we know as Emmanuel or Joshua or Jesus the Christ. It's his revelation, not John's. Okay, let's get that straight. Uh, let's go to Revelation 11. Here I want... Wait a minute, is that what I want? I don't see what I had there. doesn't matter. Go on to chapter 12, verse 17. Now here you have Satan being cast out of heaven, the church fleeing to a place of safety. Those things spoken of in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. Right at the end of the age... Just before Christ returns, the tribulation begins, the abomination of desolation, all that. And Satan is cast down for the last time from heaven, and he then goes after the church. Verse 17, the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Not the whole church, but the remnant of her seed. Which ones are those? which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. His testimony was, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the remnant of the church that Satan hates is the ones that keep the commandments. He doesn't have a problem with those who said they're done away. Let's go back to Protestantism. Who say it's grace only and no law. No, he's angry with the ones who are candidates for the kingdom of God. They're the ones keeping the law. They have the correct testimony of Christ. Kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? Wow. He's still talking about commandment keeping in the book of Revelation of all places. Chapter 14. Now here he's talking about the 144,000 who's shown to be the bride of Christ. We'll see that again in Revelation 21. Then it talks about Babylon falling and people worshiping the the beast, following after Satan and this world. And then he comes down to verse 12 and says, But, in spite of this harlot, this beast system, Babylon and everything else, here is the patience of the saints. Here are the patient saints. Here are the ones who are doing what God wants done. Okay? you got all these others who've accepted the beast. 
Now, you have those who are patiently waiting on God, and how do you define them? Here is the patient patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The rest are going to follow the beast and the world. But the patient ones are the ones who keep the commandments and have the truth, the testimony, the faith of Jesus Christ himself. Take that one to Romans 7 or Galatians and see how you do. This is the summation book for the whole Bible, isn't it? I think that's pretty clear. God defines the end time, final remnant of the church as those who keep the commandments, both of the church that Satan persecutes and those who stay apart from Babylon are the commandment keepers. No one else. Chapter 21. We're getting real near the end of the book here. Uh, here he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth, which we now understand that comes at the beginning of the millennium, not afterward. And I won't go into all that. It's proved in the series on uh, how exclusive is the church. Go through all this. And the time is the beginning of the millennium when the bride comes down as adorned for her husband. Let's go down to verses 7. Uh, or verse 7. Oh, well, let's go back to verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I, Christ says, I am the beginner and the ender of this whole thing. I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So tree of life, water of life, speak up the blessings that are to come from Christ himself, okay? And notice what he says in connection with that in verse 7. He that overcomes... Sin, flesh, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, I said sin, breaking the law, and so on. What does he say? Verse 8. He that overcomes now is going to inherit all things. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable murderers, whoremongers, those are the commandments. Those are the Ten Commandments right there. And sorcerers, idolaters, there's the first commandment. All liars, there's the commandment, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those who break the Ten Commandments are going into the lake of fire, unless they repent during the millennium or the great white throne judgment or when they have opportunity. How clear can you get? This is the one who knows the beginning from the end, who is the Alpha and the Omega. The, the overcomers of the things of the flesh and the lawless things will inherit all things. <coughs> Those who break the law will die in the lake of fire. I think that's fairly plain. Chapter 21, verse 27. Here he's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The law is done away with. It's okay to lie. But if you're going to be in the 
kingdom of God, you can't defile or make a lie. So liars will not enter into the kingdom of God. He showed me a pure river of water of life. So here again, the water of eternal life. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. This makes chills go up and down my spine to read that, because the story, when we started it, began in Genesis, when there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And everything between Genesis and Revelation has to do with that. They were taken away from the tree of life. There was a breach between man and God. They had come to understand the difference between good and evil, law-keeping and law-breaking. And breaking the law brought the penalty of death. Keeping the law brought life. And breaking it had a penalty, and we would have all died except Christ had had his body broken and beaten and his blood poured out that we might live because he paid the penalty of our sins. He didn't do away with the law. He did away with the penalty of broken law. But because you were baptized and have all your past sins washed away, shall you now walk in sin? God forbid! That's turning the law of God into lawlessness, or the grace of God, into lawlessness. So the tree of life was here. It's for the healing of the nations. And there shall be, what? No more curse. When was the curse committed or given? When they broke the law in Genesis. And he says, we're coming to the point where the tree of life will be given and the curse will be removed. This is truly exciting. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now, John has already told us that we won't be with God and we don't know Him if we don't keep the commandments, right? So you're not going to be there if you're not keeping the commandments. It's that simple. Now, some would say, well, I don't believe that the new heavens and new earth come at the beginning of the millennium, so we don't need to keep the law until after the, or during the millennium. I've heard that cockamamie reasoning. doesn't matter. Let's see what the keys to the tree of life are. Verse 6, And he said to me, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show to his servants the things which must shortly be done. So this is an angel from God delivering this message. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. What is the prophecy of this book? Of Revelation and of the whole book, the Bible. The prophecies were what? The prophecies were condemnation of the conduct of the people of Israel and the world for sin or commandment breaking. Your iniquities have separated between you and God and your sins have cut you off. 
And he said those that healed the breach in Isaiah 58 were the ones who would take their foot off of God's Sabbath and keep the commandments. They would be the healers of the breach. And here in the book of Revelation, this prophecy that we now are reading, we have already seen several very clear statements that the true remnant of the church and the patient saints are the ones that keep the commandments. Okay? And I, John, saw these things and heard them. If God is going to deliver this message, He's going to deliver it through whom? Through John, who was the most adamant, the most obvious, the clearest about commandment keeping and love and relationships with God. He had the best relationship with Christ because he kept the commandments and believed this more than the others did. And that's what he preached and taught. And he's the one Christ used to deliver this final message. Okay? Then said he to me, the angel, See you do it not, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. That worship is defined by commandment keeping. John's already said that. He said to me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. In other words, the time of reckoning is coming, and it's going to be too late to change. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. Stay there. It doesn't do any good. It's too late if you're one or the other. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his works shall be. Now those who say that the law is done away and we live by grace only say you don't have to have works. And yet he says right here is a parting shot, you're going to be judged by your works. Paul said, I will show you my faith by my works. The very author, they say, did away with the law, or let us know that it was done away, says we have to have works. In a very plain statement. No, that was James. I'm sorry, it wasn't Paul. Nevertheless, it's in Scripture. Now, I am Alpha and Omega. This is Christ Himself speaking here. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. From Genesis to Revelation. I'm the spokesman, He says. I am the Word of God. Here's what I have to say. If you're going to listen to anybody, you better listen to this. This is the Alpha and the Omega. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. There's Genesis for you. They broke the law. They qualified for death. If they keep the law... They will have the right to the tree of life. You cannot partake of the tree of life. You have no right to it if you do not keep the commandments. How do you twist verse 14? It says, those that keep the commandments are the ones who have the right to the tree of life. No one else does. Now, some are right in saying, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that which tells you what's good and that which is evil, 
is the law. That is correct. But that does not do away with the law. It does not make it evil. Paul said, I have not known sin except by the law. The sin is what tells you, I mean the law is what tells you what will cause sin and death. And there is a penalty. Death, if you break it. If you keep it and your past sins are forgiven, you can be in the kingdom of God if you no longer walk in sin, but walk in the commandments and pray daily that when you do sin, you be forgiven. The tree of life begins with man's, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life begin in the Garden of Eden, man's first relationship with God. And that relationship was destroyed by breaking the first and great commandment, idolatry. And the second is likened to it. It broke their relationship between the two of them, ruined their marriage, breaking the law. Now, there are going to be some healers of the breach between man and God that happened in the Garden of Eden, and that breach has existed ever since. And those who would say the law is done away with have lost any definition of sin, and they don't know what they're doing, and they have no relationship with God, their prayers are not answered, and they will not have right to the tree of life. It's that simple. They were kicked out of the garden, lest they partake of the tree of life and live forever in a sinful, shameful, embarrassed, lying, idolatrous attitude and mood. That has to change. We have to keep the commandments because they are holy and just and good, and keeping them leads to life, the tree of life. In a very plain scripture, which cannot be twisted. And may enter in through the gates into the holy city. So it doesn't matter whether it's at the beginning of the millennium, or at the end of the millennium, or when it comes, only those who have the commandments and keep them have a right to enter therein. So we won't argue about when it comes. You don't get there unless you keep the commandments of God. For without, he defines who's outside. He can't come in. Are dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loves and makes a lie. Outside are those who break the commandments. Inside, having access to the tree of life are those who keep the commandments. How plain can you get? I, Emmanuel, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. This is not John speaking. This is an angel coming and Christ himself saying, this is what you are to preach in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride, those who are keeping the commandments, say, come. And let him that hears say, come. 
And let him that is athirst, who wants eternal life, who wants the waters of life and the tree of life, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. What is freedom? What is liberty? It is keeping the commandments of God which frees you from the penalty of sin and death. That's the law of liberty. Not doing away with the law, but keeping it so you don't have to die. If you have broken it, you can be forgiven in the blood of Christ. But you don't continue in a life of sin. No, the bride is going to be those who keep the commandments. They get the tree of life. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add him to the plagues that are written in the book. Don't add anything to it. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Anybody who says the law is done away is taking the whole Old Testament out of the Bible. They're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out of the Bible. They're taking most of the epistles of Paul out of the Bible. They're taking James, Peter, John, Jude, and Revelation out of the Bible. The only thing they're keeping are a few scriptures that are unclear, mainly in Romans and Galatians, and in basing their entire religion and hope of salvation on some things that Peter said, Paul wrote, that are hard to be understood. And anybody who goes along with that understanding of lasciviousness and lawlessness will not be in the kingdom of God. So there you have it, in a nutshell. The law of God is a wonderful thing that tells you what's right and what's wrong. And if you break it, you die. If you keep it, you will live. It's a wonderful thing because it tells you what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. That you need to know. If they were ever going to be offered the tree of life, they had to start living on the good side of the law, doing that which is good and right and according to the will of God. So the tree of the knowledge, the contrast, the definition of good and evil is the law of God. And it is a wonderful thing. Which leads us to Christ and to the tree of life. Now you and I have the opportunity to heal the breach between man and God. If we will keep His commandments and do them, as Paul said in Romans 1, we will be offered the tree of life and live forever. It's that simple. It starts in Genesis, and he concludes it in the book of Revelation with a very clear statement. The commandment keeping is what will lead us to and give us access to and a right to the tree of life. No wonder God kicked them out so they couldn't partake of it in their sinful state. And He's never offered the tree of life to anyone till Christ came and died so our sins could be washed away so that the penalty of sin and commandment keeping could be removed. Then we continue by repenting and overcoming and changing and living according to the law instead of against it like we used to, 
And then that continuing sacrifice covers our sins. But it doesn't give us the kind of grace that leads to lawlessness and death. Commandment keeping is absolutely necessary and we're going to be rewarded according to our works. Our keeping of the ways and the laws. Here is the patience of the saints. Those that keep the commandments of God. For they will be offered the tree of life.